Design Inside is brought to you by Explain, a design consultancy focused on using the power of design to activate strategy, culture, and process in organizations since 1993. Hi, this is Dave Gray, your host for Design Inside, where we explore how design is changing the face, function, and futures of organizations by talking to the people who are at the heart of the change. Today, my guest is Jose Valenzuela, UX Design Manager at Indeed.com, where he focuses on internal tools. Welcome, Jose. Good to see you. Good to be here. So uh, tell us a little bit about what you do at Indeed. All right. So I am the manager of a team. Let's see. We have a variety of disciplines here. We have research. We have design. We have uh, content strategy. And we have what we call DE, so design engineers. Essentially, they're really, really great at building UI. That's essentially it. They, they make sure that if we're building any one of our internal tools, uh, they're using a library components, very much like our designers are, uh, to speed up the process, to speed up the delivery time of that tool, especially when we have some engineering teams that are more back-end heavy, more function heavy than they are uh, UI heavy. So that's the team in a nutshell. Awesome. And uh, so, and what's your focus? You're on internal tools, so tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so internal tools, there's, uh, there's the Indeed that everybody knows, right? Like the face of Indeed, you have all of the external facing uh, pieces of the site, which are handled by other teams. We make the tools that continue to make this whole place run. So if it's a tool to make sure that uh, our engineering teams are well supported and uh, all of the things that they do. So to give you, to give you an example, the engineering teams here happen to be very independent. They work however they want to work, and we, we work around that. Uh, if a specific team or a specific set of teams happens to fall under an umbrella, we'll try to figure out what that workflow looks like on their end, uh, figure out some sort of 80-20 split on that and make sure that we're accounting for the 80% commonality across all of them and make sure that we're building tools for them that'll make them go from A to Z as quickly as possible and with the least amount of hurdles to go through. So we're building those types of things for sales. We're uh, building budget tools. Uh, again, it's, it's a whole plethora of things. So you work across the organization. You must, must touch a lot of uh, departments. Yes. Uh, a lot of it happens to, happens to be with engineering capabilities, with business automation, uh, we do have another one, uh, data. So this would be data governance, data science, data intelligence, uh, all those. So how do you prioritize that? I mean, between all those uh, different uh, agendas and uh, <laughs> situations, it must be difficult. Um, it can be. Um, thankfully, I'm not, I'm not at it by myself. So some of the prioritization comes uh, top down some from leader, uh, senior leadership. There will be specific objectives and key results that we're looking to meet as a company, a uh, specific direction that we want to go in. And we're looking at uh, what are the things that are just going to continue to keep the lights on. Um, so just continue to support something that already exists. Uh, more often than not, that'll get some attention, but it's really looking at how do we innovate? Uh, how do we look at the, at the places that we haven't yet touched or the problems that are now arising? as the company continues to grow, figure out what those pain points are and begin to solve them now and hopefully 
also for anyone that's incoming for the growth of the company, right? So uh, we're looking at balancing all of that. And since we do have limited resources uh, on all ends, we have to make sure that we're uh, as careful as possible towards the beginning of any one of our, our quarters or you know time measurements, as you will, uh, to make sure that we have the right people in the right place working on the right problems, right? So, and part of that is us going through a lot of, uh, this place runs on, instead of just like, uh, just having goals, we have objectives and then key results that ladder up to those objectives. Once those things have been defined, having each one of the teams make sure that they're defining uh, specific ways to meet those key results, which ladder up to those objectives. Cool. What's your favorite part of the job? Oh, all the relationship making. So uh, people. Uh, all the people, yeah, all the interactions with people. So uh, here, essentially, since the team is only what? It's maybe like two or three years old, something like that. Uh, it's meeting the heads of all of the departments, having uh, or getting a feel for what all of their needs are. Um, and uh, my background has usually been more like in agencies and working with a variety of clients, usually having been uh, back in New York, usually around finance and healthcare. Um, so this is a new space for me, which I love. So I get to be a, essentially a human leech and just dig up as much information as possible, learn about all of these new disciplines, uh, what all of these people are doing, how they're doing it, why they're doing it, um, sometimes having two people that have the same title doing things completely differently. Why? No idea. Um, until we do. Uh, and then actually making something of that data, drawing insights and making something of that data. Uh, so yeah, I love, I love that aspect. I get to touch a whole lot. Uh, maybe not like firsthand, right? But I do get the, all, all that information, all that data, all the relationships, um, then juggling, seeing who we have there to actually do the work, who's good at what, all of that keeps me busy. Uh, I think it's, it's probably the case that most designers or most creatives, most techies for sure, never like to sit there just twiddling their thumbs. Um, so this keeps me busy. Rather than busy, it keeps me productive. Cool. So yeah. uh, you, uh, you, you started to go down this trail a little bit. But tell me a little bit about how you got into this area of work in the first place and, um, you know, how, how did your career evolve over the past year? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, how has my career evolved? All right. So I started off uh, when I started in design, UX wasn't really a thing. So it's something that I, I moved into as I saw the possibility of that becoming a thing. Uh, so it was it was taking a shot in the dark a little bit and exploring it as the career as that career path began to develop. I began to develop myself where I rather I continue to develop myself. But let's go all the way back. Um, as it turns out, I am wearing my alma mater shirt today. Sweater. So I did go to Rutgers. I started there as uh, I started there in mechanical engineering, mechanical oh, wow. and aerospace engineering. Yeah, and then eventually switched to their design program um, over at Mason Grove School of the Arts. And what prompted, design what prompted that change from mechanical engineering to design? That sounds like a really uh, a big change, right? Yeah, very. Yeah, I, I was I was a STEM kid. Um, 
uh, science, engineering, tech, uh, throughout probably most of my schooling career, right? Like all throughout high school, it was physics, chemistry, math. Uh, that was my focus. Now, uh, I've been able to handle my artistic side on the side since I was a kid, but it's one of those things that you end up growing up thinking, yeah, artistry, all that stuff. Um, how do I put it? You come up with, with, with the idea that uh, the minute that you have anything that's creative, you, you have like the starving artist, right? Mm -hmm. um, so as far as careers are concerned, it's something that maybe not necessarily uh, consider as much as, well, you're good at math, engineering is the right path. Um, I, I honestly just didn't see myself getting up in the morning and doing uh, math and physics to build elevators. So like, it, it's just something that it, it was not going to get me up um, at 7 a.m. to go and, and do that for a living. Uh, just mm, didn't interest me. Okay, so uh, you, up, you made the switch. I pivoted into design. And by the way, uh, spoiler alert, no regrets. Love this way more than I think I ever would have loved uh, any of the stuff that I was going to be doing heading down the engineering path. I mean, you don't know what you don't know, but I'm going to go ahead and, and just pat myself on the back for that one for making a good decision. I'm happy with this. Uh, that said, yeah, design. It was some design, and immediately, even as I was picking all that stuff up, uh, I was picking up a little bit of development as well. Back then, and I'm dating myself a little bit, uh, we had Flash. If you remember, uh, at the time, it was Macromedia Flash. Eventually, it was Adobe Flash. So I picked up some action scripting. At the time, it was uh, very basic. It was just action script one, moving into action script two. Uh, eventually, I took a course over at NYU uh, during my Saturdays and uh, picked up action scripting three. Um, and little by little, I started building uh, not just regular graphic design stuff, things on print. Uh, my first gig was half and half. It was working, uh, producing work for online and in print. And it was essentially, I believe it's called Advanced Digital now. At the, at the time, it was called Advanced Internet. Um, and say, for instance, like you have like nj.com or silive.com. Uh, and each one of these websites had uh, affiliate newspapers. And say, for instance, like in New Jersey, I think we had... 20 some newspapers and any of the ads that we had for online for nj.com may have also appeared co-branded with any one of those newspapers on print. Hmm. So, and this was countrywide for all of these, uh, for all of these different entities. So I started off there. Uh, there were opportunities to build uh, flash banners and a whole bunch of other interactive content, interstitials and all of that from there. Continued doing that at, the hop from there was into Prudential. And then with Prudential, it was doing uh, also dating myself, <laughs> uh, but it was building uh, interactive CD-ROMs for marketing. So when you inserted it, there was some sort of experience that came up and people went ahead and, and got whatever content it was that they were going for. This was far more uh, animated with voiceovers and different plans, depending on what company it was. You can have a 403B or your 401k or whatever it was. Uh, and then from there, got more into uh, art direction specifically, um, primarily doing work out of an agency for Heinz, Church and Dwight, uh, Arm and Hammer, uh, those type of entities out of uh, Princeton, New Jersey. At that point, 
started getting this is this is when UX started coming up a little bit. Uh, so the whole concept of thinking about something from beginning to end, doing some sort of research, wireframing before you actually get into designing something, all of these things started coming up. And in, in one way or another, there are things that I had practiced in the past. Uh, so I kind of stumbled into, into what UX uh, is now, which is it, it's essentially the design version of the, of the scientific method. Right. Hmm. Um, wow. That's, I mean, can you say, uh, expand on that a little bit. That was really interesting. Sure. Um, I mean, essentially the scientific method is, and I'm going to go ahead and put my, my STEM hat, uh, my STEM hats back on it. You make some sort of observation in, in your world. You draw some sort of, uh, some sort of hypothesis. You test the hypothesis. You come to some sort of conclusion. That's, like really compressed uh, after the hypothesis experimentation and then your conclusion. And it's essentially what we do in design. Um, you, you think there's a problem. That information comes to you one way or another. Either there is a tool that already exists and there are pain points that either a user is telling you about or you're conducting some sort of research that surfaces these, these pain points. There, there's your, your observation, your discovery. Um, you begin to draw certain hypotheses that perhaps what needs to happen is that you, meet, you need to make the workflow uh, more understandable. Maybe it's not the workflow. Maybe the workflow is the exact same, but the user interface that introduces the user to that workflow needs to be simplified. And through these hypotheses, you draw out uh, these plans, right? these prototypes. You go ahead and you test them. There's your experimentation. Um, and based on what that feedback is, you then iterate. It either turned out positive that your hypothesis was good or negative and you need to rework something until you make it better. Um, the one thing with this, with the scientific method, I guess, in, in, in this regard is that you continuously iterate until you get something better and better and better and better. Um, and where I think in science, you're trying to find out some sort of truth uh, here you find out the truth until people change or their habits change and you continuously make it better and better. The truth changes mm -hmm. <laughs> or people's way of working changes, but it's essentially the same, the same base, same foundation. Well, this, I mean, this is a good segue into a question I've been asking everybody and it's a design. Yeah. Design's a kind of a big word can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. <laughs> I'm sure it means something different in mechanical engineering circles than mm. it does in uh, design school circles when i say the word design what does it mean to you you just started on you, you just gave me a little bit about it but uh what what do you think what do you think when you hear the word design how do you yeah problem solving so let, let's run down through a couple of different types of design like you were just hitting on on um engineering right and and mm -hmm. designing Usually when we design something, we're designing a solution, a solution to a problem. Uh, sound designer uh, is making sure that things are uh, crisp or that the right things are coming out. Why? Probably because there's some sort of narrative that they want to, to have come across. You have uh, on Broadway, you have a set designer. They're solving certain issues for that narrative that's, uh, that they're trying to, to bring across to the audience. Uh, in this case, you have 
lighting design as well, which is going to point you to where you need to look because otherwise you're going to miss something important. So at, at each step, somebody is saying, and in this part of the narrative or, or, or in this part of the workflow, depending on what it is that you're designing for, this should be the focus. And it just brings you to where people should be looking at to solve some sort of some sort of problem. And, and it's no different in what we do. If you're trying to get somebody to go from point A to point B, why? Why are they going from here to there? And if you know why they're going from one place to the next, you can remove as many hurdles as possible. Um, good example of that would be uh, Amazon, right? Amazon used to have uh, a slightly more complicated uh, workflow for you to get from one product to the whole detail page to your checkout flow where you have to check your your address and then your payment method and you have a couple of different payment methods. Uh, do you want all these things to go out separately or do you want them to be all in one package? <clears throat> do you have Prime? Do you not have Prime? So there were all of those things in the checkout method if they give you the option to say, hey, set all of these things as my default, you can now have one-click uh, one purchase, right? So you've solved the problem of spending too much time on there because what I'm trying to do is get from point A to point Z as quickly as possible. They've taken out a lot of the thinking, a lot of the steps. Uh, now, I can go ahead and make changes to all those things if I really wanted to. I can ship somewhere else. I can use another mode. But there is one path that is super clean, right? So they've designed something to solve a specific problem. Cool. So yeah. uh, when, you, when you're faced with a problem you haven't seen before, a new problem, I know you talked about kind of a scientific method. Um, do you have an approach? I mean, how do you approach a, a brand new problem, something that you haven't seen before you have a, a certain yeah. like a go-to way that you solve problems yeah um it, it's it's my human leech approach okay <laughs> so I, I try to learn as much as possible um about the problem sometimes that might be doing independent research uh if someone else has solved it is is that solution working and how um uh, there are many problems out there that have already been solved, so why recreate the wheel? Uh, it might be more of adding, a, I don't know, a new spin on an old concept. That might be a better idea, and usually that means digging into, into the knowledge of the people that have been using something that specifically one way or kind of sort of like it. Right, so... Um, Excuse me. Yeah, no, no problem. So oftentimes it's, it's, I should have turned off digging. my phone before we started talking. Oh, all good. All good. Um, so yeah, oftentimes it's, is doing a whole lot of digging. Now, I think your, your question was specifically around a problem that I haven't encountered before. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's a certain level of, excuse me, approximation, right? Where it's a, a problem that I haven't encountered before, but I've encountered something kind of sort of like it. I just need to make sure that I'm not bringing something to that problem that doesn't apply. So if I've solved a similar-ish problem in another space, I have to make sure that the persona that I was solving it for, or that specific type of user, isn't completely different than this other person that what I'm bringing across uh, matches or doesn't match, right? 
and that again takes a little bit more discovery. There's some times where you can go ahead and just go with your gut, right? You're going to put something out there uh, and you're going to see how people react to it. And then you, you pivot as, as you need to. Uh, Instagram's a pretty good example of that. When they started, it was more of like a four square-ish type thing. And all people were doing was using the, the picture and the filter thing, right? Mm. And so they got rid of everything else and just stayed with that. But that is part of the process. That is part of you learning from your users. Um, maybe they're not saying it outright to you, but the analytics show that they've, they've, they continue to use this one path. So why keep everything else alive? That's just noise at this point. So there's a variety of, of steps, but all of them inevitably will, will involve listening to some sort of feedback. You're either doing it at the front end and digging up a lot of things in order for you to build something, the, the right solution, if you will, or you're going to go with your gut. You're going to build something. You're going to put it up, out there and then see how people react to it and then iterate accordingly. In some way, shape, or form, you're going to listen to people either at the beginning and do the discovery or validate towards the end and listen to them at that point. So it's a lot of it's about listening and observing and paying attention to have what's to. going on. Have to, have to, have to. Cool. Um, in your view, what should CEOs, you know, just average CEO out there, what should CEOs be thinking about that maybe they're not thinking about enough right now? Do you have any thoughts on that? If you could sit down with the typical CEO out there and uh, give them your thoughts. Hmm, interesting. Uh, it, it depends. It depends on the CEO, I guess. Uh, there are certain CEOs that, that will see the, the value. I'm assuming that this is specific to design. Uh, I mean, you, you this can go many ways. Yeah, you can, you can take it out wherever you want to go. I've had people say, uh, well, they're not, no CEOs doing enough about climate change. Um, uh, you know, I've had people, um, I've had people say all kinds of things, so you can take it wherever you like. Okay. I'll start with design and then we'll move into social responsibility. Okay. Uh, so w with regards to design and, and actually they, they, they are, they are tied with regards to design. You have, uh, those that value design again, as a means of solving a problem. That's essentially what you're doing. So if you're putting design at the, at the forefront of what's going on, especially if you have something that's like uh, very externally facing, like some sort of technology, with some other things, it, it might be a little bit less design heavy. It depends on the company. But in, in one way or another, you're designing an experience. You're going to have a user and they're going to have an experience of your company, of your brand, in some way, shape, or form, design will touch that. Um, and the design could be visual, the design could be more sound, the design could be of how copies displayed or any number of things. But that will be there. Uh, you can see the success of design how do I put it? Companies that have design first philosophies. Uh, if you look at Apple, um, you can probably make it a drinking game. Every time they say design, <laughs> you can take one back. You'd be pretty drunk by the time that you're done with that, uh, that, uh, that keynote. Um, and then you have other companies that, you know, maybe they don't do that as much 
and they're known for for other things. Uh, Microsoft does pretty well without being as design as design first as uh, as Apple is, but they also have a different audience. They're much um, more design first than they used to be, though I would say. And and that's the other point that I was going to make. They they've started really ramping that up. Um, their Surface products are actually really good, and most of that has been designed first. And because of that, they've seen a whole lot of growth as well. So actually, thank you for mentioning that. Um, then, then you have, so there, there's, there's the light side of design, then there's the dark side of design, right? Uh, which is users will begin using any number of tools. There may be repercussions to using an, like uh, any given tool. So say for instance, you take something like like Facebook or Instagram, and you can have, I mean, you can have people really get hooked on it. Uh, is that something that they asked for? Probably not. But not even probably not. Absolutely not. Uh, but it happens. So then there's the whole concept of how responsible are we for the designs that we produce and the effects that they have on the people out there. Um, and I would say that for the most part, Facebook is looking more at their bottom line and how long can we people can we keep people just looking at content, looking at content, looking at content, looking at content, getting those dopamine hits, right? Um, and keeping them in in that loop. The the switch from a like a, an actual time based timeline to what it is now is meant to do just that. You get a little bit of dopamine. If you're looking at Instagram, you'll see that the design is. They'll show you something that uh, is probably of, of one of the people that you're subscribed to first. The very next thing is an ad, is sponsored. You're going to see the first thing. You're probably going to pause. And what happens after that? You're going to look at the second thing. It may or may not be of interest to you, but you stopped. And then after that, the scrolling really begins. So, and since it's not sequential, you're probably going to be hunting and pecking around until you get something you like. Uh, and that's all based on a whole bunch of other studies. Um, I can go into that or I can step away from that up to you. But actually, I'll go ahead and I'll mention that anyway. So this was a study. Uh, this is like mid 1900s. And I would double check that fact. But I'm pretty sure it's the mid 1900s at some point where they had a pigeon in front of a button. And there's a one to one relationship between the button and the food that comes out. The pigeon hits the button. Food comes out. Great. Pigeon hits the button, food comes out, great. Hits it again, comes out, phenomenal. Pigeon gets bored of that button. It only hits it when it wants food. The minute that button becomes variable and food comes out, maybe, maybe not, that pigeon goes nuts trying to hit that button to try and figure out when it's going to get food. Mm. We're no different. You go ahead and you and you you apply that to the timeline. And if you know that your buddy's going to post something, usually at night, you're only going to sign in at night. You make that timeline variable and you start pecking for content for something that may or may not be of value to you. And yeah, you've, you've essentially created a hamster and you keep them on that same wheel. Just keep them scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Did you ever get to where you wanted to? I don't know. Where did you want to get to? There's no way of measuring that, right? Like, so it's, it's, it's one of those things that's built into that system. Now, is that responsible? That's where the whole... Mm, ethics of design comes into play. And I know that uh, Facebook and Google now have those departments. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a real issue. 
so what would I say to the CEOs? Uh, are you putting the needs of your company first or that of your users? Right? Are, are you creating more problems than the ones you're solving? Uh, that's, that's something to really pay attention to. If, if you have algorithms that are being built to give people more of the types of things that they already want to see, you know, based on their clicks, are you introducing a whole lot of bias into these people's lives, right? Uh, you, you have elections that are now uh, hugely, hugely influenced by social media. And all of this has some sort of base and design. How are these things designed? The algorithms are designed, even though it's not like a visual element, that thing that's in the background that is, that is learning, there's some, some level of machine learning that is learning about your habits is designed to do just that. Now, is the outcome of that positive or negative? That's debatable, right? If, if all you're getting is the types of news or pieces of content that I know you already want to see, do you get to see both sides? Is that fair? Is that unfair? I would say it's biased. So, and it's the same thing with, with machine learning overall. Uh, they're only going to learn from imperfect systems because that is what we have. Mm -hmm. So those imperfections just continuously get multiplied. Um, and yes, that does come back to the companies to make decisions and, and to, to curb the negative effects that, that design has on the general population. And I would say at this point is undeniable that it has a humongous impact. So as much good as you can do, you can also do a lot of harm. So it's important to be thinking about that. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, let's go the other direction. What about people who are just starting out? Uh, do you have any career advice for people who are getting started and looking for looking for um, looking for guidance? Absolutely. Um, get really interested about all of the different things that design touches. Uh, I mean, we just ran through a whole bunch of them, and some of them happen not even to be uh, like UI based. You're going to have tons of technologies. Uh, there's other ways to interface with with devices nowadays too. Uh, you have uh, Alexa and Siri and all of these things, and all of those interactions are designed as well, right? Um, if you say something, what does it spit back at you? Any one of these systems. Um, a lot of these systems are going to be AI based, so it's it's how does a human interact with the machine, basically, right? Um, you can do it visually, you can do it through sound and voice, um, haptic, right? If, if you have a phone and once you touch on something, you get some sort of haptic, haptic feedback, um, VR, AR, all of these things are introducing totally new ways of interacting with some sort of computer, some sort of information that lives there that you're trying to intake and then make some sort of decision about and, and, and input something back. So get interested about all of the things that are out there and, and, and find your way, find your niche. Uh, but don't, don't just focus on the design aspect of it. Um, I feel like that would be very narrow. Really get interested in on, on how these things work fully, completely. Uh, for somebody that's just starting, you might think that you're going to uh, going to some sort of company and going to sit in a chair and all of the requirements are going to be handed to you and you're going to finish your thing and send it back. Not how it works. You're going to have touch points with 
product manager and how their world looks and how you're interacting with them and what's important to them versus what's important to you. Uh, you're going to have the engineers and what's actually possible and what's not possible to build uh, based on either the number of engineers, the number of hours that you have to actually be able to, del to deliver something. Um, how perfect should it be? How perfect? Or do you launch before you actually make something super perfect? Um, how, to, how rudimentary is your MVP before you actually put it out there? Uh, you have writers. You have other types of designers. If you're a UX designer, you may have a visual designer working with you or vice versa. Uh, so yeah, just get really interested uh, in, in, in all of the other touch points that you'll have at your disposal as you're, as you're designing these things and the end user and the end user. Why do they want to do any one of the things that they want to do? So I would say be interested. Yeah. A lot of it also sounds like it comes down to people skills as well. Work on your people skills. Yeah, so, uh, and this is something that I usually, I usually share with, with my team here, and I've shared with teams before. Uh, design, honestly, I would say probably 80% of it is, is people stuff first. Hmm. Uh, but if you think about it, like, you're, you're digging up, like, what are the problems? Uh, how do we think that we want to solve that? Probably go to some sort of whiteboard. This is far too small for a lot of the things that we do here. It'll start here, it'll go onto the glass, and you have these huge whiteboarding sessions. And... None of that stuff actually looks like what the actual interface will look like, right? Um, and little by little, you start distilling it down to some sort of like very rudimentary uh, wireframe or just a sketch on a notebook or something that will eventually become this other design that you'll begin to iterate on. But if you look at the amount of hours that you're spending doing anything, you're communicating. You're either being communicated to because you've asked questions or you're communicating something that you think should be a solution to someone else. And there's all that back and forth. And then the last 20% is actually producing some sort of artifact. But even then, the artifact is just mean, is just a means of communicating something to everyone that's on your team until it's built. So a lot of the time is, is, is spent in making sure that you get your idea across, why it's important, who it's important to. You're not just solving a problem to the user, you're solving a problem to the comp for the company as well. Um, hopefully, if you're doing the right thing by the user, the company benefits. Uh, but it's oftentimes just finding that balance. It's finding that balance, but a lot of it comes down to communication. Do you have a favorite project right now, something you can tell us about? <laughs> uh, I, have, I have a few of them. Um, one of the ones that I got when I had just started here was... Uh, uh, a tool to, to track uh, our objectives and key results. And since that didn't exist here, and it's one of those, uh, one of those systems that we've just uh, started applying here, it's an, inter an interesting problem to solve, to have, well, what are the objectives at any level of the company? Who's working towards them? What key results are attached to what projects? So you have like this one-to-many relationship and the mapping of all that is supremely fascinating. Um, there was another project that I worked on some time back, uh, and this was for Spark. And the website is still up, and it was to collect uh, genetic, well, saliva samples from a trio, uh, mother, father, and son or daughter, uh, in order to start mapping some of the potential causes for autism. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. 
to get anyone to sign up, think of all the different types of makeups of family, right? You can have somebody that's a foster kid that's adopted, that's under the care of some other sort of uh, supervisor or guardian. Um, you can have your full nuclear family, but a lot of the families that have uh, a child with autism come under a lot of stress. A lot of them end up splitting up. So you have mixed families. And now you're going through some sort of registration system that is trying to get the, the rights of this genetic material from a variety of people. Who says yes? Who says no? How do you pass them through? And by the time that we were done, my map looked like the subway map, the New York City subway map, with all of the different routes that you can take in order to actually get to that final step. Um, those are the problems that I really like to solve, are the ones that are like super meaty. The If you have like one thing derail, the whole thing just doesn't work anymore. So you have to go back and figure out why it doesn't work and how you can make it work. Um, do you make it work for everyone? Do you make it work, again, only for 80% of the population? Let that 20% know you have to go a slightly different route and maybe make a phone call to actually get all the way through. Uh, it's, it's, it's that balancing game that I like. Cool. Yeah. What about um, inspiration? Are there, are there companies, people, products, services? I mean, what, what inspires you? Uh, variety. Um, so I, I will draw inspiration from, from a variety of places. Sometimes it's online. Sometimes it may be from uh, other team members that are here that are working on something completely different. Uh, because we're continuously talking the language of internal tools, internal tools, internal tools, internal tools, and maybe we get stuck in the rut of, of looking at the, the same places for inspiration, spe stepping somewhere outside completely differently. Um, may inject you with ideas that you had not expected. Uh, and it's, it's, it's when you mix two things that look like they might not go well together that you get something that's, that's really innovative. Um, like a phone with no buttons, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's that. Like phones are supposed to have buttons. Mm, let's challenge that. Uh, and it's the same thing here. Uh, internal tools are supposed to have X, Y, Z. Let's challenge that. Let's let's see if they don't. Let's see if there's this one thing that we're always thinking that needs to be there. What happens if it's not? Um, and it's it's coming up with those types of ideas that sometimes you're not the one that's coming up with that idea. It might be someone else. Uh, and that idea can come from anywhere, from anywhere. Um, there's a lot of people that are like, well, you know, we're going to end up bringing a bunch of designers into this whiteboarding session. Designers aren't the only ones with ideas. Anyone can have an idea. So you... I personally like to bring at least one person from all of the disciplines that are going to touch that product. And you have a variety of thought. You want people challenging what you already think to be one way. If you continuously do that, you're going to continuously build the same thing. That's not getting innovation anywhere. So variety of thought, variety of backgrounds. Um, variety of goals, even. There's some people that might be more user-focused, some people that might be more business-focused. Um, and oftentimes the answer is somewhere in the middle. So if you have you know, too many people from one side or too many people from the other, you're going to get a really biased answer, a really biased solution to, towards one side and not the other. Um, so variety. Back to social skills again. <laughs> back to full circle. It keeps coming back full to circle. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Let's talk about tools for a second. I mean, I know you're, you're actually working on a tool team and people love tools. 
And when mm -hmm. I say tools, I don't necessarily mean software tools. I'm talking about methodologies, frameworks, activities, yeah. exercises, stuff you do with sticky notes. Do you have any favorite go-to, like when you're in, uh, when you're starting a new project or when you're in the middle, when you hit a sticky situation, do you have any favorite go-to methods or, or frameworks that you, you find especially useful? You find yourself going to over yeah. and over? Yeah, well, sure. Uh, there's a variety of them. I, I think the answer to, to most of the questions here is it depends. Mm -hmm. um, if, uh, if, I have a, if I have a nail to hammer, I'm going to reach for the hammer. If I have a screw, I'm probably going to go for the screwdriver or, or uh, a drill and then the screwdriver. It, de it depends on what the sticky situation is. So one thing that we run here oftentimes is the, our own version of the uh, the Google Venture Sprint, like one week sprint. So we'll start off with our ideas at the very beginning, uh, plaster the walls, get ideas from everyone, judge none of them, uh, and then little by little start going through the team, uh, getting them to understand what's going on with each one of these different concepts, maybe start merging some of them and then towards the end of the week, have some sort of prototype that we can test with a couple of users and then see if we've actually hit the nail on the head <laughs> to come back full circle, uh, see if we've actually hit the nail on the head or not. Uh, if we have a lot of information already, maybe we, we don't do that. We, we run a much smaller design jam. Um, the shorter version of that is you just have a whiteboarding session with a couple of designers, engineers, and researchers if it's a much smaller problem to solve on a tool that's already existing, uh, it could take any number of shapes. Um, I think the one thing that is a constant is that all of these methodologies involve more than just yourself. So a design sprint um, is, have, uh, yeah. is like a week? Uh, design sprint is it's either four or five days, yes. Okay, and a design jam is maybe a day or two? or A day or two, Okay. yeah. Um, out of the design jam, you're coming out with the ideas. You're not necessarily coming out with any sort of prototype just yet. You may have just things uh, that are kind of like spread out on the whiteboard that the designer will go back and produce something out of it. It might take a little bit long for that production to happen. Uh, the design sprint, usually you'll have a, you'll start on a Monday. Usually by that Wednesday, you have a pretty good idea of where it is that you want to go. You have some sort of workflow mapped out. Um, the, between Wednesday and Thursday, depending on the cadence of, of some of the activities, uh, you'll have a prototype, a clickable prototype that will be tested uh, either that Thursday or sometimes early on a Friday with a readout later that Friday, a readout being the, the actual culmination, right, or, or the, the putting together of all the data that the researcher has gotten from validation sessions. Um, and then you see what comes out on a Friday. Hopefully that next Monday you can start building roadmaps or you, you may need to iterate. You may need to run one again. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we're coming to the close of our time, which I really appreciate. What, uh, do you have any uh, closing thoughts that something maybe I haven't asked you or uh, that you think should, people should be thinking about? Um, or no, uh, I've, I've liked the, the questions have been spot on. Um, the only thing I would reiterate two things. Um, 
for those who are listening. I'm assuming that some of the people that are listening uh, or watching or reading, if this is going to be scripted out as well, uh, be interested. Be interested in more than just the design. And if you've been listening this whole entire time, you'll, you'll see that your design does more than just show up on a screen. It, depending on where you're working, it'll have a real effect on people. Um, be conscious of that. And to that, I would say to anyone that is actually in control of design processes, design teams, um, or CEOs, anyone else that's even further up, make sure that you're doing the right thing, right? Like the, the designs, you don't just put it out there into the ether and people do something with it and that's it. And then your company benefits. Uh, it has a real impact. It has an absolute real impact. Um, and it's, it's one of these, it's one of these fields that, uh, you know, many other careers have like ethical boards and, and ways of conducting yourself. UX hasn't hit that just yet. Um, and I'm hoping at some point it does. I'm hoping at some, uh, at some point it does. It's, again, clear that what we do has an effect on a very large population. Decisions that are made inside of these whiteboarding rooms and the way that things work or don't work or what's available to the user or what's not available to the user has real-life impact. Right. So be responsible, be responsible for what comes out of your companies. The bottom line may be one thing, but the bottom line for a human being may be another. So just be conscious of that. Awesome. Great note to end on. Thank you, Jose. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thanks for your time today. Thank you, Dave. Design Inside is brought to you by Explain, a design consultancy focused on using the power of design to activate strategy, culture and process in organizations since 1993.